1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, the Word of God says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless uh, this time. We're going to look to your word. We see this passage of scripture where uh, we could go literally dozens and dozens, scores of different directions and what to teach and what to emphasize. But I believe the simple thought for the hour uh, we have before us, and it'll help us as a church, it'll help us moving forward to our VBS week and every week here. So I pray that you'd teach us, uh, remind us, show us how we can be better servants and ministers uh, working with one another and how we can bring you glory and earn rewards for ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, what a powerful passage of Scripture, and of course, uh, a well-known one if you've studied the Bible for very long at all. Uh, the Corinthian church was a carnal church, carnal meaning worldly, fleshly. They looked a lot more like the world than they looked like God. Their tendencies, the way they treated one another, the way they approached life, their priorities, what they tolerated, what they thought about as sin and righteousness and how they approached the things of life and the things of God were all from a, a very carnal standpoint. Uh, just as new babies in Christ, they just didn't seem to grasp the, the basics yet, the fundamentals yet, to the place to where they were spending so much time bickering among themselves that the work of God wasn't getting done. And they were almost as if reading, rooting for their favorite sports team. Uh, some would pick a preacher and say, well, uh, Paul's my favorite preacher. And another would say, well, Apollos is my favorite preacher. Uh, Apollos was uh, seemingly from the scriptures a very powerful preacher, charismatic in the pulpit, preached with great power, uh, and yet a humble man. He was uh, a well-known preacher before he came in contact with some folks who were more fundamental and understood the Bible as God wanted it to be taught, and he was willing to receive instruction and grow and go on to greater heights. And boy, isn't that a good example for all of us that we need to be humble. None of us have reached the pinnacle. None of us have gotten to where we need to be. None of us are as good of a, a man or a woman or a father or a mother or a Christian or a preacher as we ought to be and could be. 
And so Apollos was a great man in his own right. Paul was a great man in his own right. I mean, think about all the other great personalities that we find in, in the New Testament. Peter, you think he didn't have a following? And uh, James, boy, a, a powerful man of God. And so all of these personalities, but <clears throat> carnal people tend to focus on personality over substance. And they get caught in, in the, the, the basic things of life, the menial things of life, the things that lost people would get stuck on. And oftentimes carnal Christians miss the deeper things of God and even the very basics of Christianity. And here it is with the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul rebuking them that they had sin in the church. They couldn't get along with one another. And so First Corinthians is a letter of great rebuke to the church. Second Corinthians is written because when the Apostle Paul, uh, when they received First Corinthians, they obeyed so well and they wanted to do right so well. The church was so teachable that they started to do a lot of things right. But it's almost like the pendulum swung the other way. And now they had to be taught, no, we need to bring this back into, into balance. And so the book of 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians are just powerful truths for the Christian and for churches to learn how to work with one another and to do the work of God. But I want to take this backdrop here and pull a few things out of these lessons. I'm not going to be deep tonight. I'm not going to show you tons of verses like I normally do. I just want to give you a, an important thought with six elements for us to think about, and then we'll go to the house. Uh, but think about this. Uh, tonight I want to preach a message, six elements of successful ministry. Six elements of successful ministry. Now when I think ministry, don't think preacher. Don't just think missionary. Don't just think getting up in a pulpit. It's really anything we do for the Lord. So ministry simply means service. So our ministry to God is simply how we serve God. Uh, some of you cleaned the church this week. That was ministry. Uh, some of you went to the nursing homes this afternoon. Ministry. Some of you taught Sunday school class or worked in the nursery. We've got people in the nursery right now. Ministry. So ministry isn't just full-time positional ministry of, as far as church leadership goes. The word ministry in the Bible uh, really can be applied to everyone's service together and how we serve the Lord. And so ministry happens when we serve God. Churches minister. Uh, individuals minister. I think about this week. We've got a big push of ministry with Vacation Bible School. A lot of moving parts. A lot of different people helping. Dozens of people working and kids coming, and just all kinds of different things. And, and so that's ministry together, but it's for the Lord. I think about the bus routes and getting up early, and someone's got to drive the bus, and we've got to maintain the bus, and we just got our red bus back on the road and, and uh, got to make, make sure that this morning before we drove the black van, one of the tires needed air, and we're already looking forward to We know we've got to probably replace a couple tires later this year. Somebody's got to do all of that. Somebody's got to air the tires. Somebody's got to visit Saturday. Somebody's got to pick up the kids Sunday. I mean, it's just so many moving parts in church ministry. But I, I want to talk about this subject tonight or think about this. What makes a ministry successful? What makes a ministry successful? And we must choose our metrics wisely. And I won't belabor this point because I preached a whole message about what is success within the last couple of months. But just to remind us, you need to choose your metrics wisely because if you don't understand what success is, you're going to be in trouble. Think personally. What makes a successful life? Dad, you're in charge of your family. 
Uh, your wife's supposed to follow you. Your kid's supposed to follow you. You better have an idea of what success is. And it's not getting a nicer and nicer house and driving a nicer and nicer car and having more and more stuff. If that's your metric, you're in trouble. If, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you're never going to be happy. And you're just going to end up in debt and upset with each other and a lot of tension in the house. What is happy? I was thinking about this week, and I heard a, an old man, uh, an old preacher say this uh, several weeks ago, and I've been really chewing on it. He said he was actually a very rich person. And uh, I was surprised to hear him say it, uh, worth millions and millions of dollars, and not even a Christian. But he said every person needs to decide what level of living makes them happy and then just stop there. And he's a rich man worth millions of dollars. He was talking about one of the things that he enjoys doing is, is cooking dinner for his family. And I thought, here's a guy who at least found something comfortable for him. And what a challenge to us Christians where all of us just need to choose a level of life and say, this is acceptable level of life. I'm happy here. More is not the answer. Uh, I'm happy here. And so in, in a church ministry, we're getting ready to have vacation Bible school. What, by what metric can we look back and say, this time next week, that was a good VBS. We're happy with that. And if we don't know that, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, our church, what makes a good Sunday? What makes a great year? And so there's a ton of different metrics we can look at, but we have to understand and have, have some basic of measurement. And so choose your metrics wisely. Is it simply the number of people? Is more people equal to success? Well, I think you better be careful with that because while we want to help as many people as possible, the quickest way to get more people is to compromise. If you want to get more people, don't preach the true gospel. Because Jesus himself said, narrows the way, and few there be that find it. Broad's the way to destruction. So if, if you're thinking, we gotta, we got to have as many people as possible, and that makes us successful, then don't preach the true gospel. That's why you see a lot of these big ministries, they don't talk about sin. They're fuzzy on the gospel. Uh, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, a lot of people don't like that. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear Jesus has uh, uh, commandments in the Bible concerning the way we live every day. It's not just put on the Jesus robe on Sunday and live however you want the rest of the week. It's no, he is the master and the Lord of our lives every day. Uh, don't preach that if you want a crowd. Now, what in saying that, understand that we're not a church that some churches are like, well, we don't care at all about numbers. That's foolishness because every person we help is someone with a soul. Every person we can see saved is someone going to heaven. Every person we get the gospel to matters. So you've got to have balance. You can't say numbers are everything, and you can't say numbers don't matter at all. But we have to understand, while we're trying to get the gospel to as many people as possible, it's not simply the numbers that equal success. Does that make sense to you? Is success the size of the buildings? Do we need to build a crystal cathedral in Wakefield? By the way, I think they sold that building some years ago because they couldn't pay for it. The building is not the church anyway. The church is the people. Jesus didn't even have a building. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for a building. 
I'm thankful that we got room. I'm thankful we got classrooms. I'm thankful that we've chosen to take care of this building over the years. And I'm glad that, man, we put coats of paint on it every year where it needs it. We cut the grass. We trim the shrubs. We, we, we take care of business. We blow off the parking lot. We restripe the parking lot every few years. I mean, thank God for this building. We change the carpets. We clean the carpets. We, we clean the building. Praise God for all of that. But is a large building a sign of Christian success? And the answer is no. Now, if you're reaching more people, God, God will give you a bigger building. But the building itself isn't success. Is success in the amount of money generated? Well, man, if you're thinking that, you're way off. Because we're not in the ministry for money. There's no honest pastor I know that goes in the ministry for money. The truth is we spend money by faith to do God's work. We're not trying to be a piggy bank and save as much as we can. We're trying to reach the world. And so while we might save for things like a building and projects and things like that, all of that's necessary. God doesn't look at our bank account and say, boy, Curtis Corner's doing a good job there. Or God doesn't look at the big church downtown and say, wow, look at the money they're bringing in. That's success. The truth is money is necessary and we need it to do God's work. But I've always taught and I believe that God works through his people. And you tithe and you give offerings and you give what God's directed you. We set big goals. We pray for God to make up the difference. And this church has been here for 177 years and we don't plan on going anywhere. But we're certainly not in it for the money. So you see what I mean? How many, how many ministries, though, they have, well, we brought in this much money last year. <laughs> Wrong metric. Oh, look at the size of our buildings. Well, praise God for the buildings, but eh, wrong metric. Uh, look, look at how many people we have. Yeah, but you're not preaching the gospel. Or yeah, but you're preaching the gospel, but you've thrown away the rest of the book. That, that's not the goal. And so what is success in ministry? And I'm just going to give you six things tonight, and I'm just going to mention them briefly. And I want you to consider that at the end of this week, when your preacher looks at, are we doing a good job? Uh, as far as, I'm talking about just the very basics. We, I do have different metrics, and I have to pay attention as a preacher. I have to pay attention to different parts of the, the ministry and such. But as far as when it's all said and done, if we can do these six things this week and every week, I think God's pleased. And let me give them to you. All right, we ready? Let me say number one. Six elements of successful ministry number one work as hard as you can work as hard as you can first corinthians 3 6 says i have planted apollos watered but god gave the increase but we do have to plant somebody has to plant somebody has to plow the field somebody has to get the seed ready somebody has to weed the weed the field someone has to keep up the equipment there's an awful lot of work that goes into the work of God, but someone has to do the work. And, and listen, folks, I believe this before I was a preacher. I don't think God ought to get our leftovers. Now, I'm talking to a group of hardworking people, and I know that we're all just so busy. We're all overwhelmed. We all have so much on our plates. But let me tell you something. Don't get in the habit of giving God your leftovers. Trust me on this. Don't get in the habit of giving God your leftovers. Don't forget, God said, whatsoever measure ye meet, it shall be meted to you. 
Uh, he said, give and it shall be given to you. Listen, you can't outgive God. And that's not just financially. That is that is work wise. That's in every way. There's a lot of times where it's like, OK, I've got more than I can do this week. So I'm going to do what God wants me to do first. And then I'll figure out everything else at the end. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't used to live that way as a young Christian. It's I've got to do everything else first and then I'll give God what's left over. Well, what you'll find is every day you ain't got much left. Every week, there's not much left. But a miracle happens when you decide to put God first. And you say, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to do the work of God. Whatever God puts in front of me, I can't do everything. I can't do everything in the church. But whatever God tells me to do, whatever my little corner of ministry is, I'm going to do that to the best of my ability And then what happens is God does a miracle on the other end. And all of a sudden stuff gets done. And stuff that should have taken longer now doesn't take as long. And stuff that that you didn't think you were going to get done, now somebody offers to help. We have to trust the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, Whatsoever thine hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. And so this is a general principle of God's word. Do what's in front of you to the best of your ability. When you go to work tomorrow, do it to the best of your ability. If you're doing housework, do it to the best of your ability. You young people with your chores, every parent should give every child chores and probably more than they think they should have. I've never thought I've never met a child that says, oh, I need another chore. I've got too much time on my hands. (laughs) You know, I need something to do. Uh, Every child ought to have chores, but young people, when you do those chores, you take out that trash and you do it right. And you clean those dishes and you do it right. And you sweep that floor and you do it right. You don't just do it to get it done and get it over with. You do it for Jesus and you do it to the best of your ability. And as God's people, we have to be willing to work. Work. Be the best worker at your job. Don't be lazy. God never had anything good to say about lazy people in his work. Labor, use your gifts. You may not be able to do what everybody else can do. That's okay. Do what you can do. And whatever you do, whatever your little corner of the world is, do it with thy might. All right, so six elements of of successful ministry. Number one, work as hard as you can. Do it with your might. Number two, labor in unity. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 again. The Bible says, I have planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now look, there's a partnership. The planting alone doesn't work. The watering alone doesn't work. It's the planting and the watering together that make it work. Right? God superintends all of it. He makes all the pieces fit together that we've got a plant and we've got a water and God gives the increase. Now notice something here. You have three groups of people. You have Paul, You have Apollos, they're working together, but then you have the people who aren't working complaining about Paul and Apollos. And this is true in every area of life. Get busy with your hands or you're going to get busy with your mouth. It's the people who aren't busy in the ministry that complain about stuff going on in the church. It's the person that didn't paint the wall that complains about the color. It's the person that didn't cut the grass that complains they missed a spot. It's the person that didn't sweep the floor that complains, oh, they didn't get under this pew. 
And it really is a protection when you say, listen, rather than just sit outside like an armchair quarterback and tell everybody what they're not doing and what they should be doing, I'm going to ask God what my little piece of the pie is, and I'm just going to do my part. Maybe I don't have much time. Maybe I don't have many gifts, but I'm going to do my part. I want to find a way to work in unity, to labor in unity. So we see uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, uh, look at verse 1 here, and we see the difference of the, the people standing on the outside. These are the ones who weren't busy. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even babes or babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat. So those are the two categories of God's word. The milk are the things easy to be understood and processed. And then the, the meat are those things that, man, you got to chew on a little bit. Those are the things that, that's hard for the flesh to get over, that require more surrender, that require more understanding, that require someone to say, you know what, I'm willing to keep making God Lord of my life instead of getting stiff-necked and, and hard-hearted. I'm going to keep surrendering. And so those are the, the more difficult things of the Word. Uh, and he says, you're not able to handle the meat because you're babies. Look at verse 3, for ye are yet carnal. What does it mean when they're carnal? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. Now these are uh, the sins of comparison and the sins of competition. Well, why do they get that and I don't? Why do they get the pat on the back and I don't? Why did they get the bigger room? Why did they get the nicer equipment? Why do they get to do that? Why did pastor mention them? Why did that? Well, I work harder than they do, and they don't work as hard as I do, and you don't know what they do when they're not at church. And all of this division starts happening, and God's like, whoa, time out. You need to get your eyes off each other and put them on me. Labor in unity. And the truth is, in every good church, there are people of all different uh, maturities in Christ, right? Right? Some of you have been saved a long time. You've got, you've got the Christian life. You're, you're, you're not perfect, but man, you're working the plan. You know what God wants, and, and you're working on it. I mean, some people are still stumbling over their own feet. I mean, they're just barely getting to church. They've got a lot of issues. But they want to they help, and they want to grow, and they want to be a blessing. And so we can't look at each other and start comparing ourselves among ourselves. We labor in unity. You know what the truth is? Paul, Apollos from what we seem to know in the scripture, was a more dynamic preacher than Paul. That didn't seem to bother Paul. And Paul certainly knew more about doctrine and walking with God than Apollos did. That didn't seem to bother Apollos. They were both using their gifts to work together. And see, that's what, that's what unity is and laboring together in ministry. Not everybody can preach, not everybody can teach, not everybody can lead, but everybody can do something. And so what are we saying here? Labor in unity, no jealousy, no selfishness, no pettiness, no comparison. Uh, we're all on the same team. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. We're all on the same team. We all win or we all lose. It's not us versus them. And churches get funny about this. Well, it's the, it's the older people, the people that have been there longer versus the people that have been there newer. That's no competition. Our church doesn't have that problem. But, man, I've seen it a lot. When I first came here, we had that problem. We started growing, and some of the people that have been here a long time, they're like, why are these new people here? Matter of fact, we had one guy that said, you shouldn't be able to vote in a business meeting unless you've been here two years. I said, show me that in the Bible. 
but it, it started to become this us versus them. No, 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 no. Time out. The preacher says, no, that's not what God said. We're not going to start that business. Well, it's, it's us versus them. And in some churches, it's the people with more money versus the people with, with no money. It's the driving crowd versus the bus kid. We're not going to play that game. We're all saved. We're all saved by the same blood. We're all saved by the same Jesus. We all have the same Bible. We have the same book. We come to the same church. We're not going to play this game that the devil uses, divide and conquer, this group versus this group, this class versus that class. No, sir. We're all one in Jesus Christ. And so successful ministry says, I'm going to work as hard as I can with what God's given me to do. And then it says, I'm going to labor in unity with my fellow Christians. No petty, no selfish. When things come up, we're going to deal with it in a Christ-like spirit. We're going to put a smile on our face. We're not going to start ascribing motives to people. Well, well, she did this because... Stop right there. I'm going to do that. I'm not preaching this to stop anything. I'm just doing preventative preaching right now. We all good? None of this is going on that I know of. But I'm just saying, successful ministry is people who look across each other and say, I'm going to serve Jesus with you to the best of my ability. And the other person says, I'm going to serve Jesus to the best of our ability. It's not about me or you. It's about him. How can we work together to bring God glory? All right, Uh, elements to successful ministry. Let me say number three, we leave the results up to God. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Boy, that's so powerful. We work as hard as we can. We labor in unity, but we leave the results up to God. The truth is we can't make a seed grow. We can plant it, and we can water it, but I can't make a seed grow. Do you know how? I mean, can you physically reach into that seed and make it do its thing? There's so much in our lives that are out of control. There's so much in ministry that are, that's out of our control. So we do the best we can with what God's given us, and then we leave the results up to God. Notice here it says, neither is he that planteth anything. It's not about you. Paul couldn't say, well, I planted, so it's all about me. And Apollos couldn't say, oh, you may have planted, but I watered. And you, don't, you have no idea how much I watered. You have no idea the late nights I watered. You have no idea what it cost me to water. Well, the Bible says you're both nothing compared to him. Now, God used both of them. But it's not about comparison. It's not about division and strife. When it all comes down to it, nothing's going to happen if God doesn't step in. And so we work as hard as we can, we labor in unity, and then we leave the results up to God. You and I can't make the miracles happen. Uh, That's why we set work goals. We don't set goals about how many people we're going to see saved, but we can set a goal how many people we're going to witness to, right? We can't set a goal about uh, where God's. We have to understand where, where our line is and where God's is. I can't make somebody get saved, but I control how many people I witness to. Uh, the church controls how many people are willing to say, I'm going to go soul winning. I'll go on a, on a Friday morning. I'll go on a Saturday morning. We can control that. We can't control who gets saved. I can say, you know what, I'm going to talk to 10 people this week about Jesus. My goal is to get through the gospel presentation 
with 10 people this week. I mean, a full gospel presentation. Maybe that means I talk to 10 people. Maybe it means I talk to 50. But my goal is 10 people this week, full gospel presentation. I can control that. I can't control if one of them gets saved. But you know what we do know is that if you give the gospel to enough people, somebody's going to get saved. Right? The gospel still works. And so we can't make people get saved, but we can work and leave the results up to the Lord. That's, how we, that's why we talk about how many hours are we going to invest? How many doors are we going to knock on? How many conversations are we going to have? You know, someone could say today, I'm going to take 10 tracks with me this week, and I'm going to pass out 10 tracks this week. Now, you can't, you can't determine what's going to happen with the track on the other end, but you can determine whether they sit in that rack or you take them out. See, that's what I'm talking about. We do the work, but then we leave the results up to God. I was recently, and I don't, I don't get to do this now. A lot of our tracks come folded, but any time I'm folding tracks, I'll often I fold the track and I'll fold them one by one and I'll pray for each track. Just, just briefly, Lord, use this track. Lord, help somebody read this track. Lord, do that. Now, that might seem like foolish to some people, but, but I happen to believe in prayer and I happen to believe I'm asking God to do what I can't do. All I can do is pass this track out. But God on the other end is the one that works the miracles. Does that make sense to you? There comes a time in ministry where you do all you can and then you leave the results up to God. So this week in Vacation Bible School, we've visited for weeks. We've prayed. We've passed out. We've promoted. But come Wednesday night, whatever God does, he's going to do. Right. I'm going to worry about it. If one kid shows up, that's going to be the most loved kid in South County. I mean, he's going to be so spoiled. He's going to go home and tell his whole neighborhood. What in the world? I can't believe what happened. You guys blew it. Or if 100 people show up, we're not going to complain. How are we going to take care of all these people? You know, sometimes God does the miracle and people complain. God doesn't do the miracle. People complain. God can't seem to win. We're just going to leave the, the, the results up to the Lord. So no matter who comes, we're going to do our job. We're going, to, we're going to love them and give them the gospel and treat them as Christ would treat them and all of those things. We, but we leave the results up to God. When you preach a message, you have to preach it and leave it with God. When you teach your class, you, you prepare and you do the best you can. You ask God to help you and you leave it with God. When you sing a special, you pray and you prepare and then you get up and sing and you leave it with God. You don't beat, beat yourself up, oh, I'm, I missed this one by half a point and I did this and oh, I should have said this in my lesson and oh, I should have handled that better when I knocked on that door. We can't beat ourselves up. We learn from it and we leave the results up to God. Does that make sense to you? That'll help you, folks. Let me say number four, elements of successful ministry. Share the clear gospel. The gospel works. We plant the seed of the Word of God, and when you plant the seed of the Word of God, keep it simple. Don't make it hard to get to Jesus. It, it drives me crazy when Christians who are already saved make it difficult for people to get to Jesus. And sometimes they'll do that through weird doctrines. They'll, they'll start making salvation sound more difficult than it is. They'll have some weird definition. They'll, they'll add a, 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 a hard definition of repentance to the scriptures. Or maybe they'll have some Calvinistic version where it's like, well, uh, if God wants you saved, you'll get saved. If God doesn't want you, you're going to hell anyway. We can't really do anything about it. How does that help people? And notice the people that believe that, they're always the chosen ones. I've never met someone who said, you know, God just didn't choose me. I'm just not elect. I've got to spend forever in hell. But maybe he'll elect you. 
No, it's always the elect telling people they may not be chosen. It's always the ones who are saved, who didn't give up all their sin to get saved, telling you you have to give up all your sin to get saved. Or you have to stop this or stop that or start this or start that. Don't make it difficult to get to Jesus. I think about Mark chapter 10, verse 14. The disciples were keeping the little children from Jesus because they didn't want Jesus to be bothered with the children. And Mark 10, 14 says, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I wonder up in heaven how many times Jesus is like, Let people get to me, church. Stop making it difficult. I'll save them the same way I saved you. The simple gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what saves sinners. Share the clear gospel. Make it easy enough that a child could understand it. Why? For of such is the kingdom of God. All right, let me say number five. Elements of successful ministry. Number five, express the love of Christ to every individual. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 3. And a verse I want you to see and one that I want you to mark. If you don't have it memorized, it would be good for you to memorize. 1 John chapter 3. We've talked about these elements Work as hard as you can. Labor in unity. Leave the results up to God. Share the clear gospel. Express the love of Christ to every individual. And so we want to love people in Jesus' name. And what does that mean? That's not just kind words, although we ought to share things like Jesus loves you and God loves you. Of course we ought to share those things. But it also we ought to love them with our actions. First John chapter 3, verse 18. Let's say it together. Ready? First John 3.18 says, My little children, let us lo- not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So here's what God's saying. It's easy to say you love people with your mouth. I love you, as you don't. I love you, as you're rude and selfish and unkind and unforgiving. No, no, love them with your mouth in word and in deed, with your a, a tongue, and in deed, and in truth. And so uh, I want every, every young person that, that comes to our property this week, I want people to look them in the eyeball and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Hey, God loves you. I'm glad you're here. And oftentimes with the little ones, I'll get down on their, and I don't do that with a teenager. Hey, buddy. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? They're going to be looking at you like, dude, bro, get out of my face. What's wrong with you? And uh, but I mean, the little kids, you just get down right on there. Hey, man, I'm so glad you came. Give me five. Oh, up high. Oh, down low. Oh, too slow. And I mean, they're like, oh, man. Uh, But I want to look at everybody and just say, man, I'm glad you're here. Hey, thanks for coming for VBS. And then before they leave, you know, what? I really hope you come tomorrow. I enjoyed having you in my class. Jesus loves me. I'll never forget all the times I rode the bus. I don't know if there was ever a time where Brother Bo Eichelman didn't look at me before I got off the bus. And he'd say, hey, Paul, he'd get my attention. He'd say, hey, Paul, I appreciate you. And that was just kind of his saying. Do you know nobody said that to me as a kid? When's the last time you said to a child, I appreciate you? <laughs> it's like, we don't, right? Uh, that was just his thing. Hey, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming. And that meant something to me. And so the kids that come, I always, when, when they get off the bus, I may not always catch their eye. I'll try to, but I'll say, hey, man, I'm glad you came. Hey, thanks for coming. Man, come back next week. I hope you come back next week because I want them just to feel loved. I, I, I could tell you story after story. One time we dropped 
some young people off after VBS, and it was dark outside, and, and uh, we were dropping some kids off, and a kid looked at us, and, and, and uh, eyes filled with tears, and said, I'd rather stay with you. And I thought, here's this kid going home. Nobody's at the door to meet him, getting dropped off in the dark at the projects. The, the, the mom told me the night before, I'll just drop them off. They'll get their way home. No, we bring them to the door. We make sure somebody's home. We take care of them. They said, I don't want to go home. I'd rather stay with you. And I said, buddy, I wish you could. But you got to go home. We'll see you again tomorrow night. We love you. But I want every child just to feel the love of Christ. Every adult. Man, I hope that when adults come today, I hope they feel something different. And you folks are a friendly church, and I commend you for that. And you, you seek after visitors, and you shake hands, and you, you smile, and, and all of that. Man, when's the last time, I mean, some of you that travel, you go to churches where it's like you're bothering them for showing up. It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, the door creaks, they look, it's like, what are you doing here? Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. But let's go beyond general friendliness and seek to exude the love of God. And then let me say, lastly, Successful ministry, no ministry endeavor is successful without this, and that is give God the glory. Let me read 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God is the one who makes the miracles happen. It's an interesting thought that if God chooses to use you, some of his glory will spill over. And I think about Moses when he came out of the tabernacle, his face was glowing. He came down off the, the mount, his face was glowing. He probably didn't even know his face was glowing. They had to tell him, whoa, Moses, whoa, face is glowing. To the point to where at times he would have to wear a veil so that other people could be around him because God's glory had spilled over on him. And it's okay when you serve God and, and you get some praise and be like, man, that was, that was a good message. Or, man, you did a good job with that ministry. Or, wow, you know, you really helped me with that. Uh, thank, thanks for taking care of my kids. And, man, the nursery's great. And, hey, you did a great job cleaning the church. When you serve God, some of that glory of God will spill over. But here's the key. Never, never, never accept God's glory as your own. Never. Never. Because it's his. I think about Paul. He was preaching with one of his companions and he preached such a powerful message. The people literally bowed down and were going to sacrifice to him as a God. And he said, whoa, whoa, stop that. I'm not worthy of that. That glory goes to God. And so. You don't have to correct anybody that says a good job. You don't have to say something like, oh, wait a minute, that's God's glory. Don't ever say that to me again. You know, you don't have to get crazy with it. Sometimes it is nice to have a little pat on the back. Can we just be honest as humans? It's nice to hear a good job. It's nice to know that you blessed somebody. It's nice to know that God used you. But at the same time, don't ever start accepting that in your heart as your own and often point that back to Jesus and say, hey, praise the Lord. Praise God. You know, that was an answer to prayer. If God used me, that was an answer to prayer. Boy, I was praying God would help somebody through that. Man, it's my pleasure. You did a great job doing this. Hey, it's my pleasure to serve the Lord. But see, you always just reflect that back to him. Let me show you last scripture and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this scripture is one that we often misunderstood. Oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, God can't use me because I'm not very gifted 
or because I'm not as good at this as so-and-so or somebody else could do a better job. If you've been in the ministry very long, and I'm not just talking about preaching, although that's true, but I'm talking about in anything serving the Lord, you're going to look around and be like, you know, other people could do a better job than this at me. But here's the key. They're not doing it. And oftentimes the most talented people are not surrendered to help with the things of God. Let me tell you a secret. There are people that could pastor this church better than me. And some of you are like, preacher, that's not a secret. We, we know. We know. We pray about that. But let me tell you, they're not here. God's got me here. So I do the best I can. And you do the best you can. And you know what? Who gets the glory? God does. There are people that, do, that could do your ministry better than you somewhere in the world. But that's okay because they're not here. You're here. Let me, let's read this scripture and then we'll go to the house. But this is such a powers of scripture. Look at verse, verse 26. Now look at verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Look at this next verse. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You need to underline that and put a big star beside it in your Bible. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Here's the thought. God loves to choose broken vessels to do his work. Because then he gets the glory. So don't ever look at yourself and say, well, I can't serve God because fill in the blank. No, God might be choosing you because fill in the blank. God needs people who don't have it all together. He needs people who aren't perfect. He needs people that don't know the whole Bible. And yeah, they're they're sincere, but maybe this part of their life over here, I mean, not sin problems, but I mean, they're they're just barely struggling over here, barely making it. And maybe over here, man, they've got some faults and failures. We were teasing yesterday in, uh, in soul winning time. Man, I don't know if you've noticed, but I got a problem with time. My problem is I never know what time it is, ever, ever. And I've tried, and Brother Ken was trying to help me. He said, he said, well, set an alarm. And I said, Brother, I've got so many alarms set. But what happens is I set an alarm. I'm so project-focused that when I'm doing something, an alarm will go off, and I'll be like, I'll get that in a minute. And then I'll keep working, and then I forgot what the alarm went off, and I forgot what it was for. And, I mean, even my kids, they know this about me, and they're like, hey, Dad, it's time. I know, I know. Give me just another minute. i got to finish this. And uh, we're, we're working over at the house, and, man, uh, if we're not careful, if the kids are working with me, it'll be 2.30, and I'll be like, oh, man, we haven't eaten lunch yet. And uh, it might be 7 o'clock at night, and it's like, oh, man, we, we, haven't, uh, we, we haven't even thought about dinner. I don't even know what we're going to make. And, uh, I mean, now the good news is I can work a long time. It's kind of nice because I never know what time it is. I don't know how late it is. So I can just work and work and work and work until my hands start shaking and my blood sugar crashes and I realize I, don't, I haven't eaten today and all of that. But what I'm saying is some of you are so time-oriented that you need to help me. I am flawed in that area, right? 
And you have flaws in other areas. Some people, they're so time-oriented, it's like, well, in about, a, in about an hour, I've got to go do something else, so we better stop this job and clean up and begin to transition. It's like an hour. Does it, does it take that long to, to uh, transition? We, we've all got difficulties. We've all got things. Some of you are very organized. Some not very organized at all. Uh, some very thoughtful. Some are just thick-headed as a box of rocks. But that's okay. Because God made us the way we are. We, we work on our difficulties. We don't use them as excuses. We surrender all of our brokenness to God. And God uses our brokenness for His glory. And what happens is, when you do something and everybody around you says, I know you're not perfect, and I know, man, look what God did. I want people to look at Curtis Corner Baptist Church and say, man, look what God did. Not look what that awesome pastor did. Not look what those great people did. Look what God did. I want God to look at your family and say, man, there's two broken people that have a marriage that honors the Lord. Look what God did. Man, there's two sinful people raising up decent kids. Look what God did. God wants the glory. He doesn't want to share his glory with another. The most dangerous place for you to stand is between God and his glory. So what do you do? Successful ministry is we work as hard as we can. We labor together in unity. We work hard. We do the job. We leave the results up to God. We make sure that while we're ministering, we share the clear gospel, clear and pure. We express the love of Christ to every individual. And then when it's all said and done, we point everybody to God. And say, you know, if it wasn't for God, I'd be in hell. You realize that? If it wasn't for God, we'd all just be in hell. Man, ain't God good? You say, well, look, look at that. Look, look what God's doing. Praise the Lord. Don't ever use your faults and failures as a reason not to serve God. Surrender them and see what God can do through them. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thanks for the truth tonight. We pray that you'd give us wisdom this week when we're looking at ministry for VBS. Or we, Of course, we run a lot of ministries here throughout the week, every week. we got Washington County Fair coming up. We've had a lot of big pushes this summer. We've got fall program coming up and a conference this fall and so many things we're doing. But Lord, help us to remember these things and not have, uh, not have these weird metrics where we're, we're trying to judge success, but to really understand what is our job and what is your job and to do what you want us to do to the best of our ability and to leave the rest up to you. Please help us. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We'll take just a moment for an invitation. Let's stand. The Lord spoke to your heart. The altar's open. Hey, stop beating yourself up as the piano plays. Uh, if you've got the wrong measure for success, Satan's going to beat you up. 